10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. The African Human Rights Yearbook is a peer-reviewed journal dealing with the aspects of African human rights systems, covering its norms and the operation of its institutions. The yearbook, among others, looks into connection or the connection between human rights and the theme of the African Union being strengthening resilience in nutrition and food security on the African continent. The theme looks into the strengthening of agro-food systems in particular, health as well as social protection systems for the acceleration of development. Let us unpack this. Dr. Treso Makunya, postdoctoral fellow and publications coordinator at the Center for Human Rights, University of Pretoria, one of the great defenders and one of the great centers and institutions really on human rights, the continent over and I think it's registered as an NPO. I could be wrong, but it certainly has the work that is akin to that. So good is their impact, not just from an academic advancement perspective, but certainly in articulating the shortcomings of institutions of state and where they can improve in a largely non-adversarial manner. I'm certainly a fan of the work of the center and uh, the work of Dr. Franz Villion. I don't know if he's still there, but Treso is here. Treso, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure. Yes, uh, Professor Franz Villion is still around. Let's talk about the yearbook, the highlights, the highlights in particular around strengthening resilience in nutrition and food security on the continent. I mean, just even looking at that, food security and nutrition is about ensuring states' resources go where states' resources are supposed to go, investments in agriculture and food security, and mitigating what impact there may be that is occasioned by climate change and matters incidental thereto. So when you're talking about human rights, it absolutely has to pertain in an environment where there are no hungry stomachs at a fundamental and bare minimum, surely. You know, you know. generally in South Africa, when we talk about human rights and the constitution, people always ask the question, can we eat the constitution? And one can, one can pose the same question, can we eat human rights? Yes, to a large extent, we can eat human rights and we can eat the constitution so mm. long as mechanisms are in place in order to enforce the rights that people have. And at the continental level, we have what we call the African human rights system, which is a set of legal norms and standards which provide entitlement privileges to human beings by virtue of being human beings. And that's applies to the entire continent and this framework which is championed by what is called the african charter on human and people's rights which was adopted in 1981 and came into force in 1986 provide a number of rights including indirectly the right to food mm. so the right to food is that particular right which provides entitlement to an individual to have access to food. So in South Africa, for example, you don't have a right to food in the constitution, but you have the right to access to adequate food, which are different component here. But but coming back to, to actually the theme on which the, the volume six of the African Human Rights Year book uh, focused on, 
is to highlight the effort at the continental level of the African Union, which is supporting um, the publication of the of the African Human Yearbook, to strengthen food security systems, food systems in Africa. And you know how weak they've been when confronted to the pandemic. So the question for lawyers in this volume and for all the people on the African uh, Union level was how can human rights be used to ensure that people have access to food on the African continent? You have to remember that food security itself is a broader concept, which is understood when you look at six particular elements. The first element of food security is the availability of food. So food must be available. The second element is accessibility. The third element is utilization. The fourth, stability, agency, and the last is sustainability. So what someone has to understand is that you are food secure when all people at all times have physical, social, and economic access to sufficient, safe, and nutritious food that meets their dietary needs and food preferences for an active and healthy life. The major problem that we encounter on the African continent, and particularly from a human rights perspective, is just people want sometimes to fool their stomach. Whether they eat healthy food is beyond question here because the primary needs is always to make sure they eat. So what human rights bring into perspective in an area which is more economic and uh, agricultural in form is to ensure that states have the obligations to ensure that people have access to adequate food. Is that even in question whether or not states have such obligations to their societies? Is there an instance where on the continent that is either debated or worse contested that the state has that inherent obligation by virtue of it being a state to ensure that people have access to food and indeed have food? You know the problem, the problem the state is uh, we are bound uh, we are uh, how should I put it? You know we agreed as individuals in a society that we will sign what we call a social contract with the leviathan which is the state and the state has been given the means to provide what we want so the debate has never been whether the state has the obligation to to uh, provide access to, to to adequate food but the question has always been whether the state has the means to that and that's when you you will come back now to this main issue of uh, available resources, does the state have available resources? How do you, for example, in a country such as the Democratic Republic of Congo, prioritize security issues with access to food to individuals? So, so I, I think the contestation is not really on the normative content of the right, mm. but it's more on the means. Does the state have enough money? And here, let's 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 be clear: you cannot assess the ability of a country such as South Africa to provide, to realize the right to food, compare it with countries such as Burundi, Rwanda, or Zimbabwe. 
So every country Tell has to be assessed on its own cause. Okay, fair enough. No, no, we, we accept that. And, and, and the normative point as to the state's obligations to its people or to her people on food is beyond question. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Let, let me ask this, perhaps even mischievously. Have you mm-hmm. found instances where, albeit that normative standard is an established one through the establishment of state institutions, including reducing it to law, constitution, as is the case of South Africa, do you nonetheless so, have yeah. instances, I beg your pardon, where mm. the secondary question, the resources to facilitate this normative standard, engaging that government or that state or society to the point where there is non-deliverance, if not underperformance, on that normative standard. So um, I, I, I hope I understand the question perfectly. Here, uh, you will agree that uh, people have held the South African Constitution as being transformative, but you also have other constitution on the African continent, which can be said to be transformative, like the Constitution of Congo, the Constitution of of Kenya. So. But, as you said, not every constitution has the right to food security. But where the African Human Rights Book is interesting is that at the African level, at the continental level, you have what we call in law international treaties. International treaty is an agreement which states enter into in order to improve, if it's a human, a human rights international treaty, in order to improve the exercise of human rights at the domestic level. Bearing in mind that we already have a constitution with a bill of rights at the domestic level, the question is, why do we have also human rights international treaties? This, the answer is simple. Not only it has to fill the gaps, so in countries where the right to food security is not provided for under the constitution, the African Charter is used as a, a, a an instrument that fill that gap. So that is that, that that is interesting. The second point is at the African Union level, you have uh, what we call quasi judicial institutions. For example, mm. the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, which oversees the mechanisms put in place by states, and say, did you establish enough mechanism to ensure that people have access to food during peacetime? or during armed conflict. Because you may find that states have adequate mechanisms put in place to ensure access to food, but when you have natural catastrophes, state of emergencies, armed conflict, and so forth, those mechanisms are not well equipped to address that particular issue. So so at, the, at really a continent, well, now you will now have the judicial mechanisms, the constitutional court, or the quasi-judicial mechanism, the the, uh, the Human Rights Commission, like the South African Human Rights Commission. So all these mechanisms put together make sure that what the state has promised, both in its constitution and at the international uh, forum, translate into a transformation of the lived realities of people. Because having a constitution, however well written mm-hmm. it can be, if it doesn't translate into the transformation of the life of individuals is not worth the paper is written on. And we're going to talk about that because paper is one thing, reality quite another. South Africa on its own, for instance, at the height of COVID, in fact, we just had a spokesperson from the Alliance of NPOs talking about the importance or supposed importance of NPOs in a given society. This time, three years ago, we were seized with COVID, or the height of it anyway, 
And that is where we saw the importance of the effective deployment of state resources to where there were critical needs at a social level in that state's community. But what we did see, talking about tying policy to delivery on basic things such as human rights, are you not aware of food parcels and related social securities that ought to have been distributed to vulnerable communities, even as you and I speak to this day, not being accounted for. So after the break, I want us to address how at times even the state gets in the way of the state by not deploying effectively or worse, getting in the way deliberately through criminality at the ghastly compromise of human rights. on SAFM. Strengthening resilience in nutrition and food security on the African continent. Dr. Tressa Makunya, postdoctoral fellow and publications coordinator at the Center for Human Rights at the University of Pretoria, talking to us about the recently released African Human Rights Yearbook 2023. We are in conversation about systems on the continent that look to address and ensure food security and where there may be challenges in that. We do know that there are great disparities between resources available and how they have an impact in South African homes and the continent, especially because this is an African context, how those homes do not enjoy the fruits, if you will, of their soil. And the question is, from a food security perspective anyway, where that challenge lies and what systems we are learning and where the improvement can be, contemplating all the while externalities such as climate change. But before the break, we talked about when the state gets in the state's way, when all these instruments exist. You, you talk about the African Charter, the quasi-judicial um, institutions, the three of them at a continental level, those that are domesticated, that play out as institutions of state, organs of state, instruments of state, constitutions, laws, how that on their own are not enough to ensure or guarantee, in this instance, food. Let's talk mm. about when the state gets in the way. What is available then to societies to enforce such rights, such dignity-based rights? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you know when when uh, drafters of human rights treaties or or, or or lawmakers or drafters of constitutions establish these instrument. They believe that in the society somewhere, there will be people who will be willing to implement them without any problem. And we will find sometimes that people who were in the opposition at the time were vocal about that that that, that text. And when they come to power, they, they change. So laws are really important. Human rights treaties are really important. But what is more important is really the legal mindset, what, what I generally call a culture of rights. If you have nice laws and you don't have a culture of rights, those laws will not take you anywhere. If you have nice judicial institutions and the society does not have a culture of vindicating their rights, it will not take you anywhere. So mm. let's come back to the question here. Mm. When the state gets in the way of the state, you know, the state of emergencies, the pandemic, the pandemic in particular, has shown us people's true colors. Mm. You have an individual who cannot manage 
one billion rand that you put in emergency fund or procurement on all these things. And this is not only for South Africa. Mm. If you go to Zimbabwe, in Nigeria, you had corruption-based uh, 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 actions uh, when there were certain responses to the pandemic. So what is the problem here? Of course, laws are always at risk of being violated when exceptional circumstances such as state of emergency uh, such as the pandemic, natural catastrophes are declared. So what you have to do is uh, are two things, and that's where I like usually to use the South African the South African model. The first thing is to have an awakened citizenry, because uh, if you look at the constitutional culture in South Africa, where individuals actually are really aware that they can go to court and courts can respond even against powerful individuals in society in fact this morning i was i was reading uh that um there is uh, uh, a group of public interest litigation that want to bring to court this uh, the home affairs on issues of identity cards the delays in, in that mm, mm, mm. you will you will not have such a reaction in a country such as togo congo burundi or rwanda so what that's something South Africa uh, people would people would suffer in silence. People would suffer in silence, and in other countries, you've seen uh, corruption, embezzlements based on procurement on COVID funds, but no one talks about it. But at least in the South African context, we've seen in the in the case of the pandemic, people trying the government on various regulations before court. More than mm. 10,000 litigations pending before courts during that time. I've got Why? very limited time. I beg your pardon. Can I just ask this question? What are the non-agricultural threats to food security? The, 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 the one that comes to mind directly, directly today, as it is in the world, the issue of climate change. Climate change and institutional inability of most African states to respond to climate um, uh, challenges. That is something we are really trying as lawyers to, to, to rethink. How can we empower legally states to, to have enough means to, uh, to address climate change issues? The other point is the one you raised, the issue of corruption. You've seen in countries such as Nigeria, where you see people buying fertilizers in order to distribute to poor communities, but these fertilizers are being uh, stolen, or sometimes the funds to, to buy them are being uh, embezzled. So we've seen international cooperation uh, in multi multilateral development banks, such as the World Bank, the African Development Bank, providing supports but if there are no mechanisms in place to ensure traceability and transparency in the use of the funds, of agricultural funds to be precise, food security will continue to be a major problem. The third issue on the African continent is the recurrent armed conflict and violent conflict in general. In countries such as uh, Cameroon, Nigeria, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Eritrea, when you have conflict, especially armed conflicts, people would not have access to their land to produce uh, food and all these things. So what they will now start to, to expect is the support from 
uh, donor community for WFP and uh, mm, these mm, others. Mm. And and in my view, although we've seen this in South Africa during the, the, the during COVID, while the distribution of food parcels to to individuals, especially to women, can be loaded, a dignified approach should rather empower people to produce their own food and not to distribute to them. And that's the human right based approach. That's a good point people, upon which people to must end. eat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. People must eat. I'd like that punchline. People must eat the food that respond to their needs, not the food that is presented to them. Fantastic. No, I appreciate that. And that's a very, very good point upon which to end this otherwise wonderful conversation. Dr. Marcunia, postdoctoral fellow in publications, coordinator at the Center for Human Rights, University of Pretoria, talking to us about the African Rights Yearbook. It's 21 hours. Mudupi Makhalimeli with the news.